Book 1, Chapter 19 of The Mystical City of God, Volume 3, by the Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book 1, Chapter 19. Christ our Lord begins to prepare for his public preaching by announcing to some the presence of the Redeemer into the world. His Most Holy Mother assists him therein, and the powers of hell begin to get uneasy. The fire of divine charity burned in the bosom of our Redeemer and Master, as in a closed furnace, until the opportune time destined for its manifestation. For in due time he was to lay bare the burning love of his bosom by means of his public preaching and miracles, and at last, even to break the vase of his humanity in order to pour forth his charity. Although it is true, as Solomon says, that fire cannot be concealed in the bosom without burning the vestments. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 27. And although the Lord always manifested his love, sending forth from him its sparks and flames in all his doings since the moment of his incarnation, yet in comparison to what he was to accomplish in his chosen time, and in comparison to the conflagration of his interior love, we may say that the flames of his love had until then remained covered and enclosed. The Lord had now reached perfect adolescence, attaining his twenty-seventh year. According to our way of speaking, it seemed as if he could not any more restrain the impetus of his love and of his desire to fulfill the will of the Eternal Father in accomplishing the salvation of men. He was filled with sorrowing love, prayed and fasted much, and began to mingle with the people and communicate with mortals. Many times he passed the nights in prayer on the mountains and began to absent himself two or three days from the house and from his most holy mother. The most prudent lady, by these absences and excursions of her son, foresaw the approach of his labors and sufferings. She already felt the sword, prepared for her devout and affectionate love, piercing her heart and soul, and was entirely consumed in most tender acts of love for her beloved. During these absences of her son, her heavenly courtiers and vassals, the holy angels, attended upon her invisible forms, and the great lady spoke to them of her sorrows, and sent them as messengers to her son and lord, in order that they might bring her news of his occupations and exercises. The holy angels obeyed their queen, and by their frequent messages she was enabled in her retirement to follow the highest king, Christ, in all his prayers, supplications, and exercises. Whenever the Lord returned, she received him prostrate on the ground, adoring him and thanking him for the blessings which he had gained for the sinners. She served him as a loving mother and sought to procure for him the poor refreshment of which she knew he stood in need as a true man subject to suffering. For often it happened that he passed two or three days without rest or food or sleep. As already described, the Most Blessed Mother was aware of the labors and cares, weighing down the soul of the Redeemer. The Lord always informed her of them, and of his new undertakings, of the hidden blessings, communicated to many souls, by new light concerning the divinity, and concerning the redemption. Full of this knowledge, the Great Queen was wont to say to her Most Holy Son, My Lord, highest and true happiness of souls, I see, light of my eyes, that thy most ardent love for men will not rest or be appeased until it has secured eternal salvation for them. This is the proper occupation of thy charity and the work assigned to thee by the Eternal Father. 
thy words and precious works must necessarily draw toward thee many hearts but o oh, my sweetest love i desire that all the mortals be attracted and that all of them correspond to thy solicitude and exceeding great charity behold me thy slave o lord with a heart prepared to fulfil all thy wishes and to offer her life if necessary in order that all creatures may submit to the longings of thy most ardent love which so completely devotes itself to drawing them to thy grace and friendship to this offering the mother of mercy was urged by her ardent desire to see the teaching and labors of our redeemer and master bring forth their proper fruit as the most prudent lady fully estimated their value and dignity she wished that they be lost for none of the souls nor that proper thanks for them should be wanting in men in her charity she wished to assist the lord or rather to assist her fellow-men who heard his words and witnessed his works in corresponding to these favors and lose not their chances of salvation she was consumed with a desire to render worthy thanks and praise to the lord for his wonderful bounty toward souls seeking to repay the debt of acknowledgment and gratitude not only for those mercies that were efficacious but for those which the guilt of men made inactive in this thanksgiving the thanks of our great lady were as hidden as they were admirable for in all the works of christ our lord she participated in a most exalted degree not only in so far as she cooperated as the cause but in as far as the effects are concerned she so labored for each soul as if she herself were the one to be benefited of this i will say more in the third part to this offering of the most loving mother her most holy son answered my dearest mother already the time is come in which i must conformable to the will of my eternal father commence to prepare some hearts for the reception of my light and doctrine and for giving them notice of the opportune and foreordained time of the salvation of men in this work i wish thee to follow and assist me beseech thou my father to send his light into the hearts of the mortals and awaken their souls that they may with an upright intention receive the message of the presence of their savior and teacher in the world from that day on his mother according to his own desire accompanied him in all his excursions from the town of nazareth our lord began to make these excursions more frequently in the three years preceding his public preaching and baptism in the company of our great queen he made many journeys in the neighborhood of nazareth and to the province of naphtali as was prophesied by isaiah isaiah chapter five verse two and other parts in his conversation with men he began to announce to them the coming of the messiah assuring them that he was already in the world and in the territory of israel he told them of it without intimating that he himself was the one they thus expected for the first testimony of his being son of god was given publicly by the eternal father when the voice from heaven was heard at the jordan this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased matthew chapter 3 verse 17 without especially announcing his true dignity the only begotten spoke of it in general terms as one who knows with certainty without performing any public miracles or using other outward demonstration he secretly accompanied his teachings and testimonies by interior inspirations and helps which he conferred on the hearts of those with whom he conversed and treated thus disposing their souls by faith he prepared them to receive him afterwards so much the more readily in person 
he made acquaintance with such as by his divine wisdom he knew to be prepared and capable, or rather less unsuited, to accept the seed of truth. To the more ignorant he spoke of the signs of the coming of the Redeemer, known to all, such as the coming of the three kings, and the slaughter of the innocents, and of similar events. With the more enlightened he adduced the testimonies of the prophets, already fulfilled, and he explained to them these truths, with the power and force of a divine teacher. He proved to them that the Messiahs had already come to Israel, and he pointed out to them the kingdom of God and the way to reach it. As he exhibited in his outward appearance so much beauty, grace, peace, sweetness and gentleness of manner and of speech, and as all his discourse, though veiled, was nevertheless so vivid and strong, and as he added thereto also his interior help of grace, the fruit of this wonderful mode of teaching was very great. Many souls forsook the path of sin, others began a virtuous life, all of them were instructed and made capable of understanding the great mysteries, and especially of believing that the Messiah had already begun his reign. To these works of mercy, the divine teacher added many others, for he consoled the sorrowful, relieved the oppressed, visited the sick and grief-stricken, encouraged the disheartened, gave salutary counsel to the ignorant, assisted those in the agony of death, secretly gave health of body to many, helped those in great distress, and at the same time led them on to the path of life and of true peace. All those that trustfully came to him, or heard him with devout and upright mind, were filled with light and with the powerful gifts of his divinity. It is not possible to enumerate or estimate the admirable works of the Redeemer during these three years of public preaching after his baptism. All was done in a mysterious manner, so that without manifesting himself as the author of salvation, he communicated it to a vast number of souls. In nearly all these wonderful operations, our great lady was present as a most faithful witness and co-worker. As all of them were manifest to her, she assisted and gave thanks for them in the name of the creatures and the mortals who were thus favored by divine bounty. She composed hymns of praise to the Almighty, prayed for the souls as one, knowing all their interior necessities, and by her prayers, gained for them new blessings and favors. She herself also undertook to exhort and counsel them, drawing them to the sweet teachings of her son, and giving them intimation of the coming of the Messiah. Yet she practiced these works of mercy more among women, intimating among them the works of mercy which her most holy son performed for men. Few persons accompanied or followed the Savior and his most blessed mother in those first years, for it was not yet time to call them to a close following of his doctrines. He permitted them to remain in their homes, simply instructing and urging them to a more perfect life by his divine enlightenment. The ordinary companions of the heavenly teachers were the holy angels, who served them as most faithful vassals and servants. Although they often returned from these excursions to their home in Nazareth, yet on their journeys they stood more in need of the ministry of these courtiers of heaven. Some of the nights they passed in prayer without any other shelter than that of the sky, and on these occasions the angels protected them and sheltered them from the inclemency of the weather, and sometimes they brought food. At other times, the Lord and his mother begged food, refusing to accept any money or other gifts not necessary for their present nourishment. When at times they separated, the Lord Jesus visiting the sick in hospitals and his mother other sick persons, 
innumerable angels accompanied Mary in visible forms. Through their mediation, she performed some of her works of charity, and was kept informed of the doings of her most holy son. I do not dilate in particular upon the wonders performed by them during this time, nor upon the labors and difficulties encountered on these excursions, in the taverns, and from the obstacles which the common enemy placed in their way. It is enough to know that the teacher of life and his most holy mother were looked upon as poor pilgrims, and that they preferred the way of suffering, without evading any labor deemed advisable for our salvation. In this hidden manner, the divine master and his mother spread the knowledge of his coming to all sorts of persons, yet the poor were more especially the objects of his blessed solicitude. They ordinarily are more capable of God's truths because they are less burdened with sin, and endowed with more light, and because their minds are more free and unhampered by vain anxieties. They are likewise more humble and diligent in subjecting their will and understanding, and in applying themselves to an upright and virtuous life. Moreover, as during these three years, Jesus did not preach openly, nor with manifest authority confirmed by miracles, he addressed himself rather to the humble and poor, who are led to the truth with less show of authority. Nevertheless, the attention of the ancient serpent was much aroused by many of the doings of Jesus and his mother, for not all of his miracles remained concealed, though the power by which they were done was hidden. Satan saw that through his words and exhortations, many sinners were brought to penance, amended their life, and escaped his tyranny. Others advanced in virtue, and in all who listened to the teacher of life, the common enemy noticed a great and unheard of change. What enraged him most was that he could not succeed in his attempts with those that were in the throes of death. Though he multiplied his cunning and malice in these last hours of the souls in this life, it often happened that this bloodthirsty dragon, having approached the sick in order to exert his malice, was interrupted by the entrance of Jesus or Mary, and felt a powerful force, which hurled him and his demons to the deepest caverns of hell. If Jesus or Mary had previously come to the sick room, the demons could not enter, and could exert no influence upon the sick person, who thus died in the powerful protection of the Lord. As the dragon felt this divine power, without being able to account for it, he conceived an insane rage, and anxiously sought means of counteracting the damage. Then happened what I shall relate in the next chapter, as I do not wish to enlarge this present one. Teaching of the Most Holy Queen, Mary My daughter, I see thee astonished at the information which I give thee concerning the mysterious works of my Most Holy Son, and concerning my own share in them. For thou seest on the one hand how powerful they are for making an impression on human hearts, and on the other, that many of them have remained hidden until now. Thy wonder should not be that men have not known these mysteries, but that, having been informed of so many others concerning the life and activity of their own and my Lord, they have held them in such contempt and forgetfulness. If they were not so ignoble of heart and would lovingly contemplate the divine truths, they would find in my sons and in my own life, as far as it is known to them, most powerful motives for thankfulness. By the articles of faith, and by the many other truths taught and preached in the Holy Church, many worlds could be converted. For these truths exhibit clearly, that the only begotten of the Eternal Father clothed himself in the mortal flesh of sinful man, in order to redeem the human race by the frightful death of the cross.
Letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verse 7. Acquiring for them eternal life by the loss of his own, and recalling and liberating them from everlasting death. If this blessing were taken at its true value, and mortals were not so ungrateful to their God and Savior, and so cruel toward themselves, none would lose their chance of salvation, or bring upon themselves eternal damnation. In thy amazement then, my dearest, weep ceaselessly for the terrible loss sustained by so many insane and thankless souls, who are forgetful of God, of their duty, and of their own selves. On former occasions I have already told thee, that the number of those foreknown as doomed is so great, and of those that save themselves is so small, that it is not expedient to say more in particular. For if thou hast the sentiments of a true daughter of the church, the spouse of Christ, my son and Lord, thou wouldest die at seeing such misfortune. What thou mayest know is that all the loss and misfortune apparent in Christian nations and governments, as well among chiefs as among subjects of the church and of the secular state, all originate and flow from the forgetfulness and contempt of the works of Christ and of the works of his redemption. If there were a way of rousing them to a sense of thankfulness and to a sense of their duty as faithful and acknowledged children of their creator and redeemer and of me, who am their intercessor, the wrath of the divine judge would be appeased, and there would be some diminution of the widespread ruin and perdition among Catholics. The Eternal Father, who is justly zealous for the honor of his Son, and rigorously chastises the servants, who know the will of their Lord and refuse to fulfill it, would again be reconciled. The faithful in the church make much of the sin of the infidel Jews in taking away the life of their God and Master. They are right in doing so, for it was a most heinous crime, and merited the punishments decreed against that people. But Catholics forget that their own sins are rendered heinous by other elements of guilt surpassing that of the Jews. For although their error was culpable, they esteemed it as truth in the end. Then also the Lord delivered himself up to them, allowing them to follow the counsels of hell, by which they were oppressed for their sins. Luke chapter 22 verse 53. In our days, the Catholics are not in ignorance, but in the fullness of the light, by which they know and understand the divine mysteries of the Incarnation and Redemption. The Holy Church has been founded, spread out, made illustrious by miracles, by saints, by holy writings, by the knowledge and proclamation of truths unknown to the Jews. In spite of all these multiplied advantages, blessings, truths, and enlightenments, Many live like infidels, and as if they had not before their eyes, so many inducements to draw them on and oblige them, nor so many chastisements to fill them with dread. How can Catholics then, under these circumstances, imagine that the sins of others were greater or more grievous than their own? How can they presume that their punishment shall not be more lamentable? Oh, my daughter, ponder well this doctrine, and be filled with holy fear. Humiliate thyself to the dust, and confess thyself the lowest of the creatures before the Most High. Look upon the works of thy Redeemer and Master. Imitate them, and apply them sorrowfully, to satisfy for thy own faults in sorrow and penance. Do thou imitate and follow me in my ways, as far as thou art enlightened from on high. And I wish that thou labor not only for thy own salvation, but also for the salvation of thy brethren. This thou must do by praying and suffering for them, charitably admonishing those thou canst, 
and eagerly doing for them more than is thy duty. Show thyself even more anxious to benefit those who have offended thee. Be patient with all, and humiliate thyself below the abject. According to the directions given thee before, be thou solicitous to assist, with fervent charity and firm assurance, those that are in the dangers of death. End of chapter 19